Can we really change the world? Let's pray. Father, in the glorious name of your Son, our Savior Jesus, we are grateful for another opportunity to connect, to share, to learn, and to grow. We recognize that it is your amazing grace that has brought us safe this far, and it is your grace that will lead us home. We pray for wisdom, revelation, insight, understanding, Turn on the light in our minds. Let your word become revelation knowledge to us, developing deeper convictions and shifting our paradigm. And this we have prayed in the magnificent name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all the saints of the living God said, Amen and Amen. So can we really change the world? In the discussion today, we're going to be looking at our calling as believers and as the body of Christ. Uh, we're going to look at the perilous times that have come upon us uh, right now. We'll look at some biblical examples of how God used people to change the world. We're also going to look at the nature of spiritual warfare, the true nature of spiritual warfare. And we're going to look at our wrestling match where, where Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And then we're going to look at the difference between challenge and change. And then we'll conclude with a definition for darkness, which is the absence of light. So when it comes to our calling, when it comes to our calling, you know, Christ left us with a very clear set of instructions. And these instructions pretty much have to do with changing the world. So I guess we're answering right now the question that we started with, can we really change the world? Uh, the answer is uh, we must. We must. We are called to change the world. We are chosen to change the world. We are anointed to change the world. Changing the world is our assignment as the body of Christ in every generation and in every location. We have an assignment and an anointing to affect change. We are God's agency and his agents for change. And I want to remind you that your presence on planet Earth at this time in human history is not an accident. It is not a coincidence. Actually, you are here by divine appointment. You are here by divine design. You were predestined to be a part of this generation and therefore a part of this unfolding story. And so can we change the world? Yes, we can. And we'll take it a little further and say, yes, we must, because this is our calling. So let's look at the calling right now. First of all, what we think of as the Great Commission was the corporate assignment that Christ left with his uh, disciples before his ascension into heaven. And he effectively said that you must now go into all the world and you must make disciples of the nations. And you must, you must uh, teach them about me. And when they convert to faith, you must continue to teach them all of the things that I have taught you. 
And so this is the Great Commission. It is to evangelize and to disciple the nations. And so this is our mandate, our authority. It is our legitimacy for our activities as evangelists and as teachers. We are commissioned by Christ to go into all the world. And when the Bible talks about the world, it's not just referring to the geography of the world, as in, you know, go to this city, go to that city, go to this country, go to that region. But it's also talking about the demography of the world, meaning that, you know, the world is a complex arrangement of organizations and institutions and cultures and subcultures and and so really you know the commission is not given to uh to evangelize the world is not actually given to any individual in the body of christ but to the collective body of christ we are to go into all the world that includes the places that includes the uh, the industries, the institutions, the organizations, the cultures and the subcultures, we are to establish a credible Christian witness in all the world. And so the assignment to an individual is that you are to go into your world. You are to go into your world, because if you go into your world and I go into my world, then we will have gone into all the world. So this is the Great Commission, and of course, uh, what we are called to be is salt in the earth. So salt was the essential mineral of the ancient world, and it was used for seasoning. That's for flavor. It was used as a preservative, and it was used as a disinfectant. It was applied to wounds and was part of the healing process. So when Christ calls us salt in the earth, He's saying that you're going to give flavor to some very sour situations. You're going to uh, prevent the decay and deterioration uh, because you're going to act as a preservative. And further to that, you are going to be uh, a, a source of healing and medication and disinfecting for a world that is wounded. And so this is our role. Can we really change the world? Yes, this is our calling. This is our assignment to be salt in the earth. And then he also refers to us as lights in the world. You are the light of the world, he says. So light is the answer to darkness and instantly changes the environment. So if you turn on a light in a dark space, you will have changed the atmosphere. You will have changed the environment because you will expose, you will uncover, you will unveil everything that was hiding. Whether it was good or bad, it couldn't be seen in the darkness until the light comes into the room. So when he calls you the light of the world, he's telling you that you are going to change the world. And then finally, there's the end time prophecies of the scriptures. And of course, uh, you know, the Bible is very graphic and pictorial in its description of how the age ends. But what we do know and, and, and what we can agree is that in the end, the kingdoms of this world uh, become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And so the kingdoms of this world are destined by prophecy to become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And so therefore, 
the answer to the question is yes, we can, yes, we must, and yes, we will change the world. As an individual, you are called to change your world. You will go into your world and you'll become salt in your world. You'll become light in your world. You'll fulfill the Great Commission in your world and you'll you'll realize the end time prophecies in your world. And if you do it in your world and I do it in my world, then we will have done it in the world. So uh, as we all know, perilous times have come. You know, the Bible says in the last days, perilous times will come and perilous times have come upon us. And I want to highlight three important things. Number one is the global pandemic. The coronavirus is still in the community being transmitted at a very significant rate in spite of measures to slow down its infection rate. So we do know that we have successfully um, in this country slowed down the rate of infection, you know, brought that R rate to below one. But this still means that thousands of people on a daily basis are contracting uh, coronavirus, testing positive for coronavirus. This is and we do know that for some people, this results in severe illness and even death. And we have seen a death toll uh, in the United Kingdom of over 50,000 people who have been affected by this virus. And this has been in the space of uh, 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 two to three months. So this is a this is a real peril that we're facing in our day. And as a result of the lockdown, the economic lockdown, uh, we are at the dawn of an economic recession by by every conceivable uh, economic metric. We are we are in an economic recession. And, uh, you know, uh, months of the lockdown has pushed many businesses to the brink and it has pushed many over the edge. So jobs have and will be lost across the board. These are perilous times. And then finally, what we're seeing erupt this very week is the division um, that this coronavirus has exposed. You know, it's, it's exposed uh, the structural injustices and inequalities that have been the underlying health condition in our societies for many, many decades. So we've, as, as a societies, we've had underlying health conditions in terms of the uh, structural injustices, the inequalities, the corruptions, all of these things are now being exposed so that social distance has now become social division and uh, there is no uh, clearer example of that than the uh, captured murder of George Floyd uh, by an officer of the law uh, uh, together with uh, his colleagues uh, who, who are accessories and accomplices uh, in this joint enterprise, this, this criminal activity. And what we've seen is the world uh, come together and and demand change. The world is demanding change, like, you know, from various cultures, uh, ethnicities, uh, uh, regions of the world, um, marches, protests, peaceful protests, uh, by and large, have have called for radical change. And, and I want to talk about change uh, today. Because God 
always has a plan for perilous times. I mean, God is always ahead uh, of the curve and God is always working today on something that is going to uh, appear in the future. Uh, for example, you know, Joseph was a young man. He was a teenager when he was dreaming his dreams. And yet his dreams were about a, a set of circumstances that were going to appear, you know, many years later. So he was like 17 years old when he was dreaming his dreams. He was 30 years old when he was living his dreams. And so God was preparing him 13 years before the crisis even occurred. And God always has people that he is preparing ahead of time for a crisis that's going to happen in the future. Because God always has a plan for perilous times. And God's plan for perilous times typically involves the sudden promotion and strategic positioning of people of faith to places of power. I need to say that again. God's plan for perilous times typically involves the sudden promotion and strategic positioning of people of faith to places of power. You see, when, when perilous times come upon us as they have now in terms of the global pandemic, the economic recession, the divisions and um, uh, that are in society, the disintegration of social order, when these perilous times come upon a society, God's plan typically involves suddenly promoting suddenly promoting people of faith to places of power, suddenly promoting people of faith to positions of power, and strategically positioning them to where they have decision-making uh, capacities and uh, advisory capacities that will have an impact on the outcomes of the situation. And so if I'm right, if I'm right, glory to God, then, then some of you are about to be promoted suddenly and strategically to places and positions of power. Some of you under the hearing of my vo voice must get ready for a phone call, for an email, for an invitation, for an opening, for an opportunity that is going to take you from where you are to a place beyond your wildest imaginations, a place of power beyond your wildest imagination. Because this is typically God's style. And someone said, can you prove that, Bishop? Of course. Let me give you some biblical examples. Number one, Joseph. Joseph was promoted from the pit to the palace and became a strategic advisor to the king of Egypt. This happened within 24 hours. He was a prisoner, a convicted criminal, he was on death row, and by a mysterious sequence of events, he was invited uh, into the palace to consult with the Pharaoh. The result of the consultation repositioned him as the strategic advisor to the king and as the man who would not only develop a solution for the perils, but who would implement and manage the solutions in such a way that he... Uh, was able to secure favor for his own family and advance the kingdom of God. Well, it didn't just happen with Joseph. It also happened with Esther. Esther became the most powerful woman in the world after being chosen by a pagan king. So Esther was unknown 
when it came to the mighty kingdom of Ahasuerus. But again, through a mysterious sequence of events, she became overnight, effectively, uh, by a by a divine by by a royal decree, by a by a royal appointment, she became the most powerful woman in the world and was able to influence the the decision making processes. She was able to influence legislation. She was able to overturn some bad legislation, and she was able to intercept a plot to commit genocide against the Jewish people from her strategic position where she was suddenly promoted by God. Let's talk about Nehemiah for just a moment. Nehemiah served as the cupbearer to a pagan king, and from his position, he secured permissions and provisions to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt by Nehemiah and his team, but he was able to secure the permission to do this, the licenses to do this, as well as the provisions to do this from his strategic position uh, as the cupbearer to the king. How did he get that job? Well, nobody knows. But this is typically God's style, to plant someone in the system, to put them in the palaces of world systems, to where they can exert influence, uh, influence decisions, influence directions, influence outcomes, and secure favor, licenses, permissions, and provisions to advance the kingdom of God. What about Daniel? Daniel became the president of the princes of Persia, after a death sentence and an attempted execution. So Daniel was literally uh, uh, sentenced to death, thrown into the lion's den, and by the divine intervention of God, that which was meant for evil, that which was meant for his demise and destruction, turned out for his elevation, his promotion, and he became the most powerful voice in the ear of the king. This, my friends, is God's style. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. These are just four of many examples of which I could show you that God's plan for perilous times, when the devil thinks he's going to wreak havoc on society, God's plan is the strategic positioning of people of faith in places of power. And so this brings me to the heart of our message today, because, you know, we are at war. You know, we are at war. We are soldiers of the cross and uh, we're fighting and we're fighting in many cases for our lives. We're fighting for our livelihoods. We're fighting for our legacies, but we're also fighting, you know, for the cause, the cause of the gospel, the cause of the kingdom. So we're on a war footing and at times of national peril, we feel that war footing, that sense of we're at war, but we're not always clear who we're fighting or how we're fighting or with what we're fighting. So I want to dive into the true nature of spiritual warfare. You know, Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It means we're not fighting people. Once you find yourself fighting people, uh, you know, you're in the wrong war. You've been distracted. You have been, your, your, your focus has been broken and your attention has been hijacked by the enemy. And he's getting you to look in the wrong direction because he's coming at you from another direction. We are not here to fight people. But what we are fighting is for categories, classes, um, groups, arrangements of demonic entities, demonic spirits. Now, it's important to understand that a spiritual being, a spiritual entity, has no power or ability on planet Earth outside of a human uh, a vessel or instrument or a system to work through. Spirits have no power on the planet outside of a vehicle of expression that will either be a person or a system the, the, the devil has to work through it because without a person or without uh, the systems organized by people, then the devil has no expression. Uh, it's If you can imagine it this way, that if all the people left a room and all the devils stayed in the room, uh, you know, the devils, all you do is shut the door and leave them in there, you know, because they're not affecting anyone or anything. So, but once you put a person in that room, now that person gets thinking certain ways and acting certain ways and is ready to do certain things that will harm other people. So when I talk about principalities, powers, rulers, and the spiritual wickedness, I'm not talking about the abstract spiritual entity. I'm talking about the spirits behind the systems, the systems and the people that are operating in these particular arenas. So let's look at this carefully. Principalities, these spirits operate in political systems and systems of government. So when you're addressing a principality, you're looking at a spiritual group of demons that operate fundamentally in political systems of government. That's where they are. That's where they target. They want to influence uh, the decision makers, the lawmakers, they want to influence legislation, they want to influence um, political processes and branches of government, uh, you know, uh, aspects of government, they are principalities. The powers, these spirits operate in the economy and its drivers. So these are the spiritual forces that, that, that target business and finance, uh, economic activity, trade, commerce, these are the marketplace spirits and they are the powers or the authorities and they focus on that particular arena. Then the rulers of the darkness, well, you know, darkness is, um, is, is a metaphor for, uh, for ignorance, for lies, for falsehood, for deceit. The rulers of the darkness are the spirits that seek to organize uh, uh, blindness, darkness, deceit, uh, lies. And they do this primarily uh, through culture. So watch this. These spirits operate in the culture and in the instruments of education. Why? Because uh, 
Why education? Because our culture is learned. Okay? You're not born with a culture. You learn a culture. And you reflect the norms and values of the society in which you grow. You reflect the norms and the values of the family in which you grow. These are uh, so these spirits target instruments of education, including schools, colleges, and universities, but fundamentally including the media, TV, uh, uh, film, arts, entertainment, because these are all instruments of education, teaching us what's normal, teaching us what's important. And then finally, it's the spiritual wickedness. These spirits operate in the in the philosophy, ideology, religion, and spiritual identity of a society. So they're assigned to the uh, dominant philosophy, the ideology, the spirituality, the religion of a region, and that's where they operate. So what, what Paul is actually showing us here is the structure of society and the nature of power. The what? The structure of society and the nature of power. You see, a society is structured in a particular way. A society is like a system that has components in it. The components are political components, economic components, cultural components, and religious or philosophical components. These are the components that make for a society. And if you took any one of them away, there is no society. If you took away the politics, you don't have a society. You took away the economics, you don't have a society. You take away the culture, you don't have a society. And take away the, the, the philosophy or spiritual identity or religion uh, of the people, and you don't have a society. And so if you travel, these are the things that are going to hit you about a society. You know, if you travel, you go on holiday, you go to another country, what's going to hit you is it's politics, it's economics, it's culture, and it's religion, because that's the structure of society. That's where the demons have targeted. Listen to me now. The demons are organized in a certain way so that a group of them work in the politics, a group work in the economics, a group work in the culture, and a group work in the religion. And this is why this is the nature of power. Power, my friends, Power, my friends, and I'm not, I know I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings here today, but power, my friends, and if you don't mind me hurting someone's feelings here today, just go ahead and light up the chat box and say, preach it anyhow, Bishop. Uh, preach the truth and, and, and shame the devil right now. I'm going to shame the devil right now. So watch this. Uh, power, my friends, is not simply the noise that we generate in a prayer meeting, because this has been our deception. Our deception is that, you know, if we get together and we pray and we pray and we stamp our feet and we make the fist and we command and we decree and we declare and we spit and we holler and we speak in tongues and scream, then that's somehow where we're exercising power and somehow, you know, we, we now have power. And it confuses us as to why nothing changes. You know, we're quite confused as to why some of the most prayerful nations in the world uh, have, have some of the most, you know, dismantled social structures and, 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 and uh, unequal, unjust uh, uh, systems uh, that, that perpetuate poverty 
that perpetuate corruption in government and that and that the culture is toxic uh, with norms and values that are neither normal or valuable. And here we are confined to this religious corner, screaming and singing and hoping that things will get better. Well, power is not that way. The religion, the spiritual authority is only one aspect of power because power in a society is has four faces it is political it's economic it's social and it's religious it has four faces which means we'll never have power in society until we also have political power we also have economic power and we also have cultural influence social influence so you know, this is this means that we're going to have to become intentional, smart and strategic about positioning some of our people, people of faith in political systems, people of faith in business and finance, people of faith in media, education, arts, culture, entertainment. Without people of faith in these uh, pillars of power, arenas uh, of influence, spheres of influence, without believers in there, then actually we don't have power. We have the illusion of power that comes from a religious mindset. I'm going to say it again. Without political influence, economic clout, cultural uh, influence, uh, then our religion is can be marginalized. It's It's not relevant. It's in the corner somewhere. And so the good news is that God is raising up a people. Oh, glory to God. If you're one of them, I need you to start screaming. God is raising up a people who understand that ministry is not confined to a pulpit um, and uh, or, or to a Sunday morning service. God is raising up a people who have set their sights on a role in politics and government. People who have set their sights on a role in wealth creation, uh, business and finance. People who have set their sights on a role in media, art, entertainment, education, affecting the culture. And these ambitions actually were planted in you by God because they are a clue to your assignment in these perilous times. Oh, glory to God. Listen to me. No wrestling match can begin until all parties are inside the arena. One more time. No wrestling match can begin until all parties are inside the arena. This simply means that we are not wrestling against principalities until we have believers who are in the political system. Now, in the political system doesn't mean you have to be an MP. There are many ways to be in the political system without occupying particular offices. So don't get turned off by that. Some of you will occupy offices, but some of you will operate in the system and you are now wrestling principalities. You can't wrestle the powers unless we have people in business and finance. You can't wrestle the rulers of the darkness unless we have people who are in the arena of education, arts, media, journalism. Until we have believers in there, we're not wrestling because the wrestling match cannot begin until both parties are inside the arena. So what we got to decide today, while we're feeling angry and we're feeling fearful and we're feeling frustrated and we're feeling all kinds of emotions, 
is whether we're going to be the generation that challenges the system or are we going to be the generation that changes the system? Because it's one thing to challenge the system. It's another thing to change it. You know, you can challenge a system from outside, but you cannot change it until someone gets inside. I said, let me just say it again. You can challenge a system from outside, but you can't change it until someone gets inside. Uh, you can only change a system from within. This is because components will need to be replaced, reconditioned or repaired. If a system breaks down, someone has to go in to the system. And so my challenge to us, and I'll be unpacking this as we go along, is to get smart. Get smart. Get smart. You know, on a spiritual level, your spiritual response should be to pray, to praise, to declare and to decree. That's why we're having the prayer meetings every day, because that's part of the solution. But number two, our, our political response is to pursue policy change and legal protection for the vulnerable from aggression and abuse. In other words, the pressure we want to put on our political institutions is not just one to stand with us in a march, to stand with us and say we stand with you. No. Document the legislation that makes this illegal and impossible in the future moving forward. And if you will, you know, and if you won't sign up to legislative change, why should we vote for you? Come on now. It's about using your your democratic privilege smartly, socially. Our social response is to participate in creating new norms and values through education and media representation. Man, that's going to take a while. Economic. Our economic response is to create cooperative wealth through enterprise and investments. God is calling us to get smart. Why? And he's calling us to get involved. Why? Because darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is not a force. It is the absence of a force. And if the world is dark right now, it's dark because people of faith are not in positions of power. It's dark because good people are, are congregating with each other, celebrating each other, patting each other on the back, instead of getting our hands dirty and getting involved in the components, the systems, the mechanisms that make a society work. This is the driving ethos behind ICANN Community Church. And if you didn't know it, if you didn't know it, look at our logo. Look at it right now. Everybody look at the logo. Look at the icon that is the logo for ICANN Community Church. What do you see? You see the eye inside the globe and yet inside the community of the church. The eye is on the inside because our mission is to change the world from the inside. And we're raising up leaders, future leaders. We're raising up political leaders and activists. We're raising up economic titans, giants, wealth creators, business and financial gurus. We're raising you up. We're raising up the, the cooperative uh, 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 initiatives that can pr produce wealth for generations. We are actively encouraging people and supporting their aspirations for a role in media, in art, in entertainment, in sports, in those things that give you social credence, credibility, voice and influence. And we are raising up evangelists and preachers and teachers who will plant churches and ministries and missions uh, that are relevant and that are effective in the modern world. That's what ICANN Community Church is all about. 
That's what the Business Bishop is all about. That's what our global initiatives are all about. And our time has come. Our time has come. It's time to get smart. I want to pray with you now before we close. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for another opportunity to connect, to share, to learn, to grow. We pray, Father, that the word of the Lord will become light in our mind and revelation, knowledge to our soul, that we will realize that not only can we change the world, but we must and we will, that each of us has a world to change. And we pray, Father, that as we go into our world, may we become salt and may we become light. May we become the difference that makes the difference and may you get all the glory. And this we have prayed in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the people said, Amen and Amen. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.